Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I am Lloyd Olson. You're listening to News Talk 830 WCCO. You know, on this show, we explore politics every week. We try to go deeper. We try to be thoughtful. We try to have a conversation, not a debate. And as we get ready for the holidays, you know, we should all be thankful for many things. And for those out there who have a little politics at the holiday table uh, next week, just be thinking about what isn't said these days. Think about that person who doesn't say anything at the holiday table. What's their take? Because the chances are that they're thinking about your take, if you're talking, or where things stand on an issue. This week's show, we're going to have a couple guests. First is Dr. Neil Shaw. He's running for governor. He won a straw poll this week as a Republican. Nobody knows who he is. So we're going to talk to him, find out who he is. And then after that, we're going to talk to Representative Dean Phillips. He authored a letter this week urging legislative leaders and Governor Walls to provide tax relief to small businesses, especially in hospitality after the pandemic. He's been a leader on those issues in Congress. And he did something that people in each party don't do very often. He raised an issue that maybe some in his party disagreed with. And I think that's different. On the other hand, Republicans this week during one of their forums all raised an issue that somehow election integrity was a, a major issue. It may be an issue in some states. There may be some arguments about process. But here in Minnesota, we have had clean, fair elections. People who have suggested massive fraud have come up with no examples of it. And so when Republicans raise that as an issue, they distract from the issues that are on everyday Minnesotans' minds, like taxes, like the quality of our schools, like crime. Those are going to be the issues. And so as we get closer to a year from now and the election for governor, we'll start to narrow in on those issues that are more mainstream. But in this time, when they're battling for delegates and partisans in their parties, they're pandering to. Or they're talking about issues that, you know, they probably don't need to talk about. And it may even hurt Republicans next year. But either way, when you're at that holiday table, 
Ask the person who doesn't say anything. What's on their mind? What issues do they care about? How do they feel? Because the loudest voices, well, if it's anything like our parties right now, it's the loudest voices that represent sometimes the fewest amount of people. The rest of Sunday takes back right after this. I'm Blois Olson on News Talk 830 WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sunday Take. My next guest for a cup of coffee uh, this morning is Dr. Neil Shaw. He's a Republican candidate for governor. Uh, he got a little momentum this week by winning a straw poll at the Minnesota Family Council uh, debate. Uh, and uh, I thought since nobody's really talked to him, we'd get to know him a little today. Dr. Shaw, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on. So you're a dermatologist uh, and you've been successful. What would ever make you want to run for governor in the state of Minnesota? <laughs> I really hate my free time and I don't like my privacy. Right. You know, it, it's one of those things where um, you look around and you say, hey, I'm not happy with how things are going. And I thought there were some folks who were supposed to uh, keep things going in the right direction for me. And they haven't been doing their jobs. And if ordinary people don't step up, I'm not sure those problems are going to get fixed. So that's why I've decided to, you know, take this effort and um, the time away from my family, the time away from my business to to work hard. I love this state, um, but I also feel that leaving it to the career political class has not resulted in any good outcomes. And so I intend to be an ordinary citizen doing his job to try to take it back. When you say that about kind of the political class, I've heard you say that a lot. You've been critical of uh, Senator Paul Gazelka. Senator, uh, former Senator Jensen also talks in those ways. What is it that you have been dissatisfied with Republicans in Minnesota on uh, that would, would make you want to run? You know, I'm a constitutional conservative, so I want government to be limited. Um, it has enumerated powers under the Constitution. I'd like it to stick to those. I'd like it to be smaller. I'd like it to stay out of my house, out of my business, and do those things efficiently. I want it to use as few tax dollars as possible, and I want it to uh, not, you know, harass individuals and businesses. And I think if we look back at the past, you know, couple decades, we've seen the state budget balloon, and I don't think we're any better off for that. We see an environment that seems to chase away businesses instead of encouraging them to grow and create high-paying jobs. And I believe that, um, you know, the Republicans, to some degree, are culpable for that. 
as much as the Democrats are. And I feel that there's a tendency to get into office and then seek to stay in office instead of serving any set of animating principles on either side of the aisle. And for me, that would be limited, small, contained government primarily. You know, one of the issues, obviously, that has set the mood of Minnesota and the tone of things right now is uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. You're a physician. Um, where does that a play into the politics of this where when you talk about the pandemic in relation to Minnesota and the politics of Minnesota, how do you describe your positions on the multitude of issues that, uh, you know, have become political uh, that started out as a public health issue? Yeah. I mean, this is the great public health issue of our time. It's killed millions of lives. It's a scourge. And here we are, you know, two years into this battle, um, I believe the disease has at this point become endemic. It's something we're going to have to live with. And that's an opinion that I think uh, you see more and more prevalent even uh, in authors that would consider themselves left of center. I think what's become so politicized is the discussion between mandates and choice. And I'm a freedom and liberty guy. So I believe that the government should provide tools and make suggestions and do research and give people the opportunity to decide for themselves uh, what they do with their businesses and their bodies. And that's what I feel has been so lacking. Um, I think there are also large tactical measures that have been a complete failure that seem to argue uh, against any set of science. What I mean by that and what I've recently been quite vehemently uh, outspoken about has been this vaccinate only strategy. Um, you know, the vaccines are a tool and they're, but they're not the only tool we have. And we can take the most uncontroversial treatment like monoclonal antibodies, which are lifesavers. Um, they're still hard to get and you still have to go through the public health bureaucracy to get access to these life-saving medications. You know, our hospitals are getting slammed. And part of that is because we have this dogmatic belief on the part of Tim Walls and Jan Malcolm that we shouldn't be treating COVID. You know, regardless of your vaccine status, if you get symptomatic COVID, there's no shortage of these monoclonals. Get them run in. They could save your life. And I've talked to dozens of, pay, uh, dozens of uh, individuals uh, on the campaign trail for whom they have been lifesavers. So I, I feel that this overall politicization of the greatest public health crisis of my lifetime has really served to hurt Minnesotans of all types. And I feel that we need to move beyond that. And we need to move beyond the government mandating uh, what we do and serving only political ends. My guest is uh, Dr. Neil Shaw. He's a Republican candidate for governor. Uh, and we're talking about his platform as he runs. Uh, I just kind of the last, maybe the last, maybe I might have a follow up on COVID just because you're a physician, mm -hmm. uh, you're Mayo trained. Earlier this week, uh, a group of uh, Republican legislators came out and asked Mayo not to have a mandate on their employees um, to take the COVID vaccine or to get the COVID vaccine. Um, this is, you know, obviously it's political because Republican legislators wrote the letter. Uh, Mayo, obviously, you know it better than I ever would, probably has had other mandates for vaccines for their employees, whether it's a flu shot or something else. How is this different? Where do you think, you know, should Mayo be able to mandate it, um, even if they lose employees? Or or where do you think the private employer or a place like Mayo that you know so well takes that position uh, and what they should try to 
you know, what position would would you suggest if that's not the right one? Yeah, I was disappointed to see Mayo Mayo take this route. Um, we've seen other health systems throughout this country um, respect the the choices of their employees, and those health systems care just as much about their patients as Mayo does. You know, the fact is that the vaccinated can and do spread this disease. Um, I'm vaccinated. I got it. I had COVID, and I got it from someone that was vaccinated and gave it to more vaccinated people. Um, vaccinating Mayo's entire workforce isn't going to stop the spread of COVID within their walls. And if they believe that, then I'm not sure what type of scientific research they're following. They should respect the choices of the individuals who work there. I think many of the people who are, are getting um, forced or they're trying to force to take this vaccine already have natural immunity. So they have sufficient protection, perhaps better and broader than any of these vaccines, particularly, um, you know, so, uh, for example, Johnson Johnson. So I, I really don't understand why they're doing this other than to play political football. Um, also, you know, one of the big issues that comes up with the vaccines, you, cause you mentioned the flu vaccine and that's a vaccine that I get every year. I got it again this year. My kids get it every year because flu kills far more children than influ, than, uh, than COVID does, uh, is that that vaccine has been around for a long time and the risks and benefits are clearly defined both on a short, intermediate and long-term basis. You know, for the COVID vaccines, uh, two of them are new technology completely. The adenoviral vector vaccines, such as J&J or AstraZeneca, they've been around for a little bit longer, but certainly not used in these volumes. And you can even see this week the FDA slapped a, an additional warning onto the J&J vaccine, again, for a very, very rare side effect. But nonetheless, it took months and months, nearly a year, to be able to have enough data to put that warning on the drug. And as the myocarditis data, particularly for healthy young males, becomes clearer, um, there should be some humility that we don't know exactly what the side effect profile of these uh, treatments are. Whereas for the flu vaccine, it's been around for so long. It's not a new technology type. We can clearly say here are the risks and here are the benefits, and the benefits clearly outweigh the risks, and we know what they are on a short, intermediate, and long-term basis. We just can't say that for the for the uh, the COVID vaccines. And I wish that there was more honesty about this. You know, for many people, these are life-saving uh, vaccines. But for many others, the risk profile changes dramatically if you can't fully define it. So this one-size-fits-all, vaccinate-only, don't treat no matter what strategy uh, does all Minnesotans a disservice. Got it. Dr. Shah, um, getting away from COVID and kind of the, the tone and tenor of the video you launched um on your website, you know, obviously crime is going to be a predominant theme of the 2022 election. Um, election security is something that Republicans have talked a lot about from voter ID to other issues. What's your platform on, on elections in Minnesota, knowing that it wasn't that long ago that Minnesotans rejected voter ID at the ballot? Uh, and, and why would that, you know, why would that be a timely thing to bring up again, knowing that Minnesotans already voted on it? Well, I mean, things have changed and there's a significant fraction of the electorate that feels disenfranchised and maybe uh, close to half. We can't have that. We have a significant fraction of the base that doesn't feel like their votes count. And every legal Minnesota voter that can vote should vote and should have their vote counted correctly. Um, voter ID will go a long way towards um, towards helping those people feel that way. And, and it's not something that really 
ought to be all that controversial. Uh, and polls of whites and blacks greater than 70% nationally want voter ID. And, you know, such right-wing countries like Iceland, France, and Germany all have voter ID. It shouldn't be all that controversial. If you can vote, you should be able to vote. We should make it easier for you to vote. Voter ID um, makes it easier to do absentee balloting and other things that can increase voter enfranchisement. And it, it allays people's fears that votes will not be counted correctly or may be counted uh, incorrectly in the wrong area. And I'd also, you know, like to make a point that in general, there are, there should be significant concerns on both sides of the aisle regarding uh, the integrity of our elections. The New York Democratic mayoral primary had 150,000 votes fat fingered into the wrong column because somebody simply just put them in there on the machine. So that's a democratic process. And it wasn't until the current mayor elect uh, said, Hey, something's really wrong that they looked at it and said, whoops. I mean, there shouldn't be a whoops, not with 15% of the votes. So to simply say that these are unfounded concerns uh, would be to ignore uh, what the facts are on the ground. And I think here in Minnesota, um, voter ID shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be controversial throughout the nation. And I would support it and hope to sign it into law as your governor. Um, you know, I'm from Minnesota. You've been here quite a while. We have this kind of pride around voter turnout. Mm-hmm. You said, you know, up to 50 percent of Minnesotans may be disenfranchised. You also referenced the Republican base. If we had 79, almost 80 percent of Minnesotans turn out in 2020 in Minnesota specifically, do you really think Minnesotans are disenfranchised right now? I think so. I mean, the the town that I live in has a massive voter turnout, um, but you can still turn out and still have questions about how your whether your vote has been counted and counted correctly. And we still have a number of races that can end up being quite close. So that last fraction does need to, to show up there. Um, I think for Republicans specifically, many of them feel that they have significant questions about their vote. Uh, and they show up and vote anyways. But if the prevailing, uh, prevailing feeling is that your vote may not be counted correctly, it seems to be encouraging those folks to stay home who may not be turning out. And that's not something that I want. At the forum this week, uh, all the candidates were asked if, you know, the 2020 presidential election uh, was legitimate, if Joe Biden was elected legitimately. What was what was your answer to that question? Um, and you've said in your video that that Democrats or liberals want rigged elections. Can you expand on what you meant by they want rigged or they are for rigged elections? Well, if you're for a system that allows people to have possession of multiple absentee ballots, not linked to any type of ID, uh, that would be seem to be rigging the election. If you are for going outside the constitutionally prescribed method of creating election law, which runs through the legislature, then you would be uh, for rigged elections. And if you think that the Secretary of State and the governor can, by fiat, change our voting laws then in ways that favor only one party, then that would seem to be pro-rigged elections. So I don't think that that is at all controversial. The the, uh, method to elect the president that's laid out in the Constitution was followed. Uh, Joe Biden was certified as the president of the United States. He's the president of the United States. But that doesn't mean that we don't have major issues to fix with our voting system. Other issues that are on your platform, education and crime, just briefly, what if you're elected governor or how are you different than your Republican opponents on on education and or crime? 
You know, so on education, I have significant concerns about what is being taught in our schools and what choices parents have on what their children are taught. And I want to empower parents to be able to make the educational decisions for their children. If they don't like the content of the curricula, both of which should be public and posted on websites uh, for parents to review, then they should have the means to take their children and the educational dollars assigned to their child and go somewhere else. So, for example, educational savings accounts or tax rebates that um, act as a circuit breaker to allow parents of all economic means to be able to find the educational venue that best fits their child, whether it's public, private, charter, parochial, or homeschool, uh, would be a movement that I would support. And I think with test score data showing that our public schools are failing to deliver, often for our poorest students, um, the time is now to get uh, school choice and educational reform passed. We pay, pay more and more money every year into the public school systems, and we seem to get less and less back. Now, as regards our school, I think one, or our, our streets, one critical difference will be the focus on whether increased law enforcement is the primary answer or looking at what the prosecutors and the judges are doing. And I, I favor the latter. I, I think there are certainly municipalities, Minneapolis being first and foremost, that need an adequate number of police. Um, the Minneapolis city charter is being violated and the judges are unwilling to hold the city council to account to get an appropriate number of cops that's specified in law. But once that number is reached, I think those police need to have the training and tactics to be able to keep the population safe. But we really do need to have judges who are willing to evenly apply the law to career criminals and put them behind bars. This isn't persecuting somebody for selling loose cigarettes or having uh, a joint in their pocket. These are career criminals violently assaulting uh, citizens, oftentimes multiple times in the week, the police apprehend somebody, bring them in, apprehend them later that week because they were let out on no cash uh, uh, bail. So we have to look a lot at, at uh, what the judges are doing. We need to make sure that voters understand how judges have ruled in the past so they can make smart decisions electing judges who will evenly apply the law, even if it's in a way um, that uh, politically I may not agree with, but they do have to apply it evenly and they do need to put career criminals behind bars where they belong. You brought up, uh, you know, a joint in the pocket or marijuana. What's your position on legalizing uh, marijuana in Minnesota? And uh, is there any reform on that issue that you support? Yeah, I think there's absolutely room there. I support decriminalization of marijuana. I have seen too many of my patients, combat veterans, elderly patients, patients struggling with cancer pain or intractable pain, um, for whom the medical establishment wrongly thinks that uh, chronic narcotics are a good idea. And I've seen those same people get off narcotics, uh, self-medicating with marijuana. Now, it's not something that I think that children should be exposed to, um, but I do think there are people for whom it has been a literal lifesaver. And I would support their ability to self-medicate without uh, having to go to a physician and ask for permission to take care of themselves. And that's why I support decriminalization, but not legalization of marijuana. Sounds good. Uh, Dr. Neil Shaw, thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll talk more down the line uh, as you uh, seek the Republican nomination for governor. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity. This is Sunday Take. When we come back. Dean Phillips talks taxes and why he supports tax relief for small business in Minnesota. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. We're back here on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO, and my guest is 
Representative Dean Phillips. Uh, he has, uh, serving his second term, uh, as a Democrat in Washington. Uh, and he's been kind of in the meat of a lot of the discussions, uh, in the past year around helping small business. And, uh, want to just kind of check in with him as we look at where we're at, uh, at this stage of the pandemic and, uh, what's going on in Congress. Representative, thanks for joining me. Well, what's going on in Congress? That uh, might take longer than a weekend, boys. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, first, first, let me start by recognizing what a tough year it's been for everybody. Uh, first responders and police officers and firefighters and moms and dads and teachers and everybody uh, who has endured what I hope is one of the toughest years of our lives. And I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and I'm optimistic and hopeful. Uh, and as you mentioned, small businesses, uh, they suffered in particular uh, during the economic downturn in the beginning of COVID, uh, supported by some of the relief programs that we passed in Congress, of which I'm proud. In fact, the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act was uh, my bill, along with Chip Roy, uh, the Republican of Texas, that made the PPP program work so much better for so many small businesses. But a lot of, a lot of restaurants, a lot of gyms, uh, a lot of uh, businesses in the live events industry uh, were shut out from a lot of the relief dollars. And we are working literally right now uh, to replenish the restaurant revitalization fund so that uh, restaurants, 100,000 plus that applied for funding that qualified but didn't get it because the money ran out will do so, hoping to support gyms and live events as well. And I wrote a letter to Governor Walls to uh, encourage the administration here in Minnesota uh, to support small businesses that have suffered disproportionately, uh, particularly those that rely on public gathering. And yeah. we all know why that's been so tough. So it's interesting because, um, you know, you wrote the letter to Governor Walls, Speaker Hortman, uh, Leader Miller, and it's not often that Democrats, you know, call on other Democrats to do things, or even, frankly, in this culture, Republicans call on other Republicans to do something. Um, I know you pride yourself on independence. One of the issues uh, in Minnesota that I think is a distinction is that the restaurant revitalization funds uh, were tax-free from federal dollars, but they appear to be going to be taxed by the state. Are those the kinds of things you have in mind? Obviously, you can't be as prescriptive with the governor or the legislature, but are those the kind of pain points you're starting to hear about? They are, and that's exactly why it's incumbent on those of us who represent Minnesotans in Congress to share our perspectives with, in this case, the governor and the minority and majority leader, uh, because uh, it's our responsibility. Even if we don't uh, have any control over the levers of legislation uh, or executive power in Minnesota, uh, it is a responsibility to represent. I'm a representative, and... I hear from small businesses every single day, Lois, about their struggles. And particularly those that applied for funds that qualified for them, but were denied dollars only because we didn't allocate enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like government picking winners and losers. Unfortunately, that program, because it ran out of money, did. And it is a responsibility to share that perspective. And when you do so publicly, uh, it does put a little bit more pressure on lawmakers in Minnesota to... Uh, give that consideration. And that's my job. I want to be transparent too. I represent restaurants like Punch Pizza and the Blue Plate restaurant group too. So, um, as my, uh, policy is always to make sure people understand when I have a client that people know about it. Representative, um, 
this just struck me this week, and I, I'm not saying that it's that you know crazy that somebody who's a representative in in Washington would call on their state to do anything, but it just seems that in this environment, it this is a an example that is kind of the the norm, not the norm right now because. And I wonder how this kind of plays out in D.C. Because I know you've got part good bipartisan relationships there, but you know, too often it seems as though one party is not willing to critique those in their own party uh, on a policy position, or you know, you guys have had a few debates over public statements or cartoons, things like that. When you talk and uh, behind the scenes without revealing confidentiality. Do people, you know, kind of share that sentiment, but they fear the the far left or the far right and in, in kind of being pushed back and bullied or the loud voices, you know, overcoming those who maybe are in the middle? They do, boys. And you use the word. It's fear. Uh, politics and elected officials are increasingly driven by fear, just as much of the American electorate is. Uh, and it is a big problem. Uh, we are sent to Washington in this case to represent. And that means oftentimes you will agree with your own party. That means sometimes you won't. But to uh, to be fearful of your own team, if you will, uh, and have that preclude you from sharing truth uh, is a big risk and a real danger to the country. And I disagree with uh, our governor sometimes. I disagree with Speaker Pelosi this week. Speaker Pelosi uh, indicated that she supported members of Congress trading individual stocks. Uh, I think that's wrong. I signed on to a bill to ensure that members of Congress trade a blind trust, as I have done, uh, to prevent any even indication of a conflict of interest. And I did that publicly. I disagree with the president sometimes. Uh, but the truth is, Blois, as we've seen on both sides of the aisle, uh, there is fear, and a lot of it's driven by money. Uh, money is what makes politics go around. It's what buys access. Uh, and when the money is cut off from you, uh, you lose. And there's a, uh, unfortunately, a spirit of self-preservation that takes precedence over principle. And a lot of it is driven by access to campaign dollars. If President Trump condemns a Republican, he or she is bound to lose their next primary election. Uh, they are bound to lose economic support. Uh, and the sad truth is, I've lost a couple of my dear Republican colleague friends in Congress who are retiring because of the threats against their lives. That's how nonsensical yeah. and destructive this has become. And uh, everybody should be shown a little bit more independence. We're going to take a quick break, and then we come back. We're going to finish our conversation with Representative Dean Phillips. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. As we wrap up Sunday Take this week, our guest is Representative Dean Phillips, um, He's been a representative. He's in his second term. We're talking about kind of the culture of Congress and the fear from the left, far left on the Democratic side, the far right. Dean, one of the issues, you know, is just kind of election security. You've been part of the Problem Solvers Caucus. You just earlier talked about money. Obviously, it is a massive way to try to change things if you want to fix all of those things. But you know, it seems as though we're, we're, we're heading in a direction that things might not be functional. Um, it, a, it, is there, are there things that you think are populist enough that could move the middle or move independents or, or move moderates 
in a way in the next two to four years to really wake up. Because one of the things is that people are turned off. Uh, you know, I see it every day. I saw a, a study today that more intense coverage on an issue is turning news consumers off, but those news consumers who are most intense continue to get more and more news. And so Mm -hmm. I worry about those who are turned off by intense news coverage because it's only serving those who want more and more and more. And let's face it, I benefit from people who want more and more on Minnesota politics every day. So (laughs) where, where do we get to this? Where do we refine some balance? Well, Blois, you know, I ran for Congress in 2018 because I, too, was turned off and I, too, was frustrated. And I, too, sensed the fragility of democracy and felt that I shouldn't be a complainer but a participant. And uh, that's why I'm doing this. And sadly, our country is now driven by what I would call an angertainment industry, uh, 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 in, uh, an industry with media that feeds the left and feeds the right, uh, creates uh, information bubbles and uh, it, it's terribly destructive to our discourse. Uh, I've made it a point to uh, work in a bipartisan fashion. I'm the vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus, 29 Democrats, 29 Republicans. Yes, we find common ground all the time. Uh, back uh, in, in Minnesota here, we put together something called uh, a Common Grounds Tour, where I bring Democrats and Republicans from the 3rd District together to get to know each other, share perspective, and have thoughtful facilitated conversations about policy. I had my dear friend uh, from South Dakota, Representative Dusty Johnson, the Republican, uh, who's just a wonderful guy. Uh, He joined one of our tables. We can do this, boys, but it takes a little bit of intention. uh, It takes a little bit of patience, and it takes a lot of respect. And to me, those are American core principles uh, that increasingly are absent in the United States Congress. And people ask, you know, why is it so dysfunctional? Why is it so... Uh, and it, uh, why is everybody so unable to accomplish the needs of the country? Uh, and I have to say, boys, when you really get down to it, Americans are sending people to Congress who are populating this Congress. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage conservatives, liberals, independents, libertarians, you name it, give a little thought to the type of person that you're sending to Congress. You can be respectful and be a conservative. You can be respectful and be a liberal. Uh, we can disagree without being disagreeable. I think that is what we're missing, and I am optimistic. I am hopeful because the truth is there are a lot of decent people in Congress. They just don't get a lot of attention. The ones you see every night on cable news, the ones that are on the airwaves, are oftentimes the most divisive, the most destructive, the least respectful, and sadly, the most successful. So these perverse incentives are something that we all have to reckon with. Well, on that note, I uh, I want to thank you for the conversation. There's one statistic I've been uh, noodling over the last few months since I kind of got on this thing about why we keep hearing this from the same voices or hearing about the same members of Congress and in cable news. And one um, percent of America watches cable news every night. Let's remember that one percent of American citizens watch cable news every night. It's still a lot of people. And it still creates a lot of content. But then we have this ping pong ball effect where 1% then gets covered by another percent, gets covered by another 5%, which goes to social media. And just to put it in perspective, two-thirds of America use Facebook or a social media channel every day. 
What percent use Twitter? Uh, it's, it's about five to 10%. So there you go. Interesting. Well, the world is a lot bigger. The country's a lot bigger and the people would set down their phones and computers for a little bit and, uh, get to know each other. Uh, yeah. I think we'd be in a better country and I'm optimistic that we will. Sounds good. Representative Dean Phillips, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. If you're listening to this show you and you tuned in late, uh, podcasts will be available at wccoradio.com. You can sign up for any of our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com or give us a follow on Twitter. We try to keep it sensible and even have a little fun. I'm Blaise Olson, and this has been The Sunday Take. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.